Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Valley Transportation. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 or go to valleytransinc.com for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. This podcast is also brought to you by AgDirect. No matter how you buy your ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 271. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Ag Direct. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, Ag Direct can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Well, once again, I've got Tanner Emke from CoBank here to talk with me about what's going on in the uh, world of ag economics. So, Tanner, how you doing, man? I'm great, Casey. Great to be back. I appreciate that, man. So, a lot of stuff going on since we talked last time. There's been a uh, pretty significant jumps in in interest rates. The Fed's raised the interest rate uh, about a point and a half here over the last uh, last sixty days. As what you see happening out there, you've got some uh, dry weather coming through. Commodity prices have taken a pretty significant drop here over the last two or three weeks. Uh, last couple of days, you've seen uh, a lot of. Uh, Getting back in, a lot of guys coming back in and buying. We've seen some pretty significant jumps up. Uh, we got this heat and, and some dry weather coming through the area. That's kind of stirring up a little bit of a, a weather scare. So I guess with all that stuff going on, Tanner, what's your kind of synopsis of what you see happening right now? I think all this combined, Casey, is the sign of the end of times. <laughs> I'd agree. I would agree with you. It feels like that some days. <laughs> uh, so well, I mean, this is a. Uh, yeah, there's a lot going on, uh, and some people will be scratching their heads, like myself, when you see the weather scares that we've seen yeah. in the Midwest with the heat and then the drought uh, out in the West is just getting worse. I think I saw some temperatures in the Midwest, well, like 100, over 110 yeah. degrees. That, isn't, that doesn't bode well, typically, for plant development. Right. So um, some concerning uh, developments there on weather uh, across the entire U.S. almost. And one would scratch their head and say, why are commodity prices down so much? Well, there's a lot going on, as you mentioned. And I think we need to step back, uh, take the 30,000-foot view, and what is going on in the world of inflation in general. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll try to apply that, try to find some sort of logical um, reasoning as to what's going on in commodity markets, because it's across the entire commodity spectrum we've seen a sell-off over the last month. Um, you know, corn is down almost two dollars from its peak. Yep. Uh, we've seen you know crude oil come back. We've seen natural gas come back. We've seen uh, almost anything that is a commodity is, has has really seen a major correction here. 
And so is this the sign of, of uh, inflation uh, finally peaking? Is this the sign of the Federal Reserve's actions uh, finally having the influence or finally having the effect that they desire of cooling off prices? Maybe, maybe not. I think there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, I'd say, uh, first of all, you've got um, on the macroeconomic view here, Casey, there is some signs that uh, the economy is cooling off, not only in the United States, but around the world, uh, with uh, consumers pushing back on prices. They're buying less. Yep. Uh, our customers at CoBank uh, are telling us that uh, they are seeing uh, consumers uh, less uh, willing to absorb higher costs uh, being passed on from the, from the company to the consumer through higher prices uh, on the grocery shelf. And consumers are trading down to smaller packaging. They're trading down to from brands to private label. Um, they're uh, buying less in general. All this is a sign of a consumer that's being stressed financially, that they finally had enough of inflation and they're not willing to absorb those costs anymore. And so perhaps if you follow that logic through the supply chain, well, if the consumer's buying less and they're going to push back on higher prices, if we're seeing inventory builds uh, in warehouses and then grocery stores, and then those prices have to be marked down mm -hmm. uh, in order to move those products, uh, then you back that all the way through the supply chain, all the way down to the farmer and the rancher, and then prices come down. Uh, for for farmers and ranchers, for the for the livestock and the crops that they grow, that makes logical sense. Uh, I think there's more going on there, though, um, that uh, that perhaps might defy logic. As you mentioned earlier, we got uh, some extremely high uh, temperatures that uh, that are going to impact crop development and uh, reduced acreage in some areas for some crops. And I think probably. Uh, in a nutshell here, what we've seen in the last month or so uh, in the correction of commodity markets is more mo is more managed money driven. Right. Uh, speculators, management, uh, mm -hmm. hedge fund managers, et cetera, uh, de-risking uh, in commodities. Uh, they're taking their money out of commodities. and um, So they're not, I think that's probably the main driver there uh, or a major driver of it. And a lot of that is tied to energy and natural gas and mm -hmm. you know, what have you. And if consumers are going to be consuming uh, less fuel, um, you know, that kind of impacts a lot of other things because crude oil is really the, the center point of uh, the commodity basket uh, indexes. Yeah. So I think a lot is tied to what's going on there. <coughs> uh, but as for uh, specifically in uh, uh, the, the agricultural commodities, um, you know, perhaps there is some optimism that, um, you, know, you know, crops aren't as bad as, uh, or that the crop situation isn't going to be as bad as, uh, as thought, uh, because, you know, we're seeing, we're hearing, for instance, in Kansas, in some areas, there have been some pretty good wheat yields. Yeah. Um, perhaps in the Midwest, uh, in the corn and soybean country, uh, crop conditions aren't as bad as uh, thought, uh, that perhaps this crop can endure. Uh, some uh, record high heat uh, without uh, losing a whole lot of yield potential. Remember, this is, you know, here we are in early July. We've still got a long ways to go right. before we get to harvest. Yep. And so uh, we are still trading weather markets or weather forecasts. We're in a weather market right now. So the, you're going you're gonna to have that natural volatility. 
So I think there's probably some, um, I guess, hope or, uh, for instance, optimism, I guess, in, in uh, on the crop side of things that perhaps we're not going to be as bad, bad off. And then there's over in Ukraine and Russia uh, with that situation. Um, there has been some grain moving out of uh, Russia. Uh, I think you had mentioned that earlier, and that is true. The United States has signaled uh, or warned a lot of uh, other countries out there, don't buy this grain coming out of Russia because it's stolen from Ukraine. Right. Yep. Bottom line is that grain is moving, and that is going to loosen the global balance sheet on grain. Okay, that's going to make it less tight, less uh, a less crisis-driven uh, market when you have that grain leaking out of the Black Sea. Uh, stolen or not, it's moving into the market. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of these countries that are dependent on this grain coming out of um, the Black Sea region really don't feel they have much of an option. Uh, if, you're a, if, if you're in Africa and you've got a lot of people starving, they're going to say, you know what? I'm going to feed my people. Stolen grain or not, they're going to get fed. Right. And they're going to take that grain. They're going to buy, they're going to buy the grain uh, from Russia, whether it was stolen from Ukraine uh, or, or whatever the, the risk is there. They've got other po- higher political risks of a population being not fed. Sure, yeah. So uh, taking it from that vantage point, um, you know, it, it's, you, you kinda have, it, it's hard to blame those, <laughs> those, uh, those countries for uh, taking stolen grain. So at the end of the day, grain is moving. Um, at the same time, if you look at a few of the other commodities out there, like cotton, for instance, has come back quite a bit. That's going to be tied directly to what happens in the stock market and the global economy. Uh, and so, as reason would have it, when you've got a global consumer that's uh, that doesn't uh, have as much wealth as they used to, they're not going to be buying as many clothes. So, cotton is going to come down uh, along, right alongside uh, in the energy markets and the stock market. And then, um, what else? We there was another something else you brought up, Casey. Well, talking about Ukraine <clears throat> conditions. Yeah, I mean uh, the, the condition there. And I think we kind of hit that. Yeah, Federal Reserve. So talk about that a little bit. Kind of what you're seeing from an interest rate perspective. Well, it's uh, you would think that the Federal Reserve is looking at what's going on, and mm-hmm. they're going to say, "Well, we're going to take our foot off the gas on uh, interest rates." That may or may not be the case. Uh, it depends upon uh, the psychology, uh, really, of Jay Powell uh, and his feeling of inflation and the jobless rate. And with, when you look at those two numbers, and those are the two most important numbers, inflation and, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the unemployment rate, because that is their dual mandate. Right. Uh, full employment, low prices. Right. If you've gone to any restaurant anywhere in this country, how long does it wait for you to get your food? going to take a while. It is speaking of If you can even get to the restaurant that's open because a lot of these places are closed because they've got staff. They can't find workers. So I don't think the Fed is at all worried about the jobless numbers going up because we are so tight. In fact, there's a a lot of economists that are scratching their head on what's going on. If indeed we're in a recession right now, it is a weird one uh, because the jobless numbers are so low. Uh, the last quarter we had in the, um, Q1 sh- or Q2 showed uh, a uh, showed negative growth. Yeah. Now, if we have negative growth again here in, Q- in this quarter, um, 
Well, that, that technically would be a recession. A recession is two quarters of negative growth back-to-back. Right. Uh, that is the, the actual definition of a recession. It doesn't, for a lot of people out there, it doesn't seem like a recession when you have, when you have so many people um, employed and we don't have enough workers. Right. Typically, what, what you see in a yeah, recession it's opposite is of that. Yeah. It's the opposite. You have yeah. a lot of people looking for a job. And right now, yeah. you have companies desperate to try to find workers. Yep. That doesn't seem like a recession. And so I don't, I'm just. So there's some more like a, like a stagflation type of scenario. I mean, I've been heard, I've heard that tossed around a few times. Where prices go yeah. up and jobless numbers go up right. at the same time. Yep. Uh, typically, what the, as reason has it, uh, in, uh, inflation is going to go down yeah. when job numbers go up uh, because consumers are uh, you, they don't have as much money and they're not going to buy as much and so prices are going to drop. That's the reasoning here. But right now we're in this really weird environment where jobless numbers are really low yep. and uh, they may go up but prices may keep going up as well because the jobless numbers are still low uh, yeah. even if we have or if even if we are in a recession right now. But uh, I, there's a lot of speculation of whether we're in a recession right now or not. Uh, most economists I, li- I read and listen to uh, think uh, a recession would be more probable next year in 2023. Yeah, uh, that's so what much. I've read. That's what I've read a lot too. Is that that recessionary thing? And this, I've read a lot. I've read two. I've, I've, there's two distinct camps out there. One is the you know what <clears throat> we're in a, we're gonna, we're in a recession. We're going to really see that recession take off and run September October. November timeframe of, of 22 and then yeah. you know it's a short-lived deal 23 we're, we're, we're good to go I've read a lot of guys too where they've said that that September October time frame is peak inflation and by this time next year we should see a real dramatic easing of, of interest rates back down because we should be quote-unquote you know healthy again and yeah I, I guess I mean from an economist standpoint I mean what what camp are you in? Because I, I mean, I don't, I'm I'm just I'm just a dumb equipment guy. I have no idea what, what to believe. But I mean, I'm just I mean, to me, this is this is a it's, it's like I've never seen it to where it's this divided in like a hardcore line. You know, you listen to a guy like Peter yeah. Schiff. We're we're got, we're off the cliff and we're we're you know dying tomorrow. And then you get guys like Rich Postens on the show all the time. He's like, you know, I I, I think this is a short lived thing. You know, this, this is a business cycle that we're in and. Yeah. We're going to bounce back. So I guess, what's your opinion on that as an economist? I guess, what's your what are your thoughts? So, I don't know. I, I I'm more of the middle that this is just really weird. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. That's my forecast. Things right. are just going to get. It's weirder. going to get weird. Okay, right it's just going to be. These are strange times. Mm-hmm. They just keep getting stranger. So it's not like I I've got any deeper insights here, pretty Casey. Yeah. yeah. I, my feeling is that uh, we're based on data. Mm-hmm. Consumers are pushing back on higher prices. Credit card uh, uh, usage is going up because people have run out of cash. That's right. not a good sign. Right. Uh, so right now, we are seeing a lot of consumers feeling the pain, mm-hmm. and that cannot go on forever. Um, if we have a recession, I think uh, I think the, the consumer is already uh, leading the Fed on this. Mm-hmm. You know, most recessions have been caused. Almost all recessions have been caused by the Federal Reserve by raising interest rates. Right. Well, the consumer right now is already feeling it. They may be ahead of the Fed pushing back and saying, no, we're not taking higher prices. We're not going to buy as much. Right. Then we may see that push 
through the supply chains and uh, that may show up in reduced productivity. Mm -hmm. uh, consumption is 70% of the U.S. economy. Consumption is going to go down uh, because of the consumer. Right. May, irrespective probably of what the Fed does. Right. Just because inflation is so high. It's the highest in over 40 years. Yep. So, so uh, that's kind of in my camp. Because these are weird times, right. um, I don't... I don't want to start looking at what, what's been done in history and trying to benchmark over that because I think we're in un unprecedented times. Yeah, it's unprecedented times. Yeah, whatever you, whatever you think is going to happen, just take the opposite position, and that's what's going to happen. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, it's been on it's been on the other side. All right. So let's let's talk. Okay. So we're talking about, about prices right now, and if you take a look, some of the stuff that's driving price into right now when you look at commodities is. Where we're at as far as stocks go, right? Where we're at, you know, if you look at the the cattle herd, it's it's the leanest it's been in, in quite a while. There's a lot of uh, heifers on feed right now, from what I've read, that of, of, of all time high. So if you're putting, you know, a heifer to feed to go to the rail, you're not you're not you're not growing the herd, right? You're you're right. sending it off to butcher. Um, you look at chicken and poultry, all that stuff. You start looking at the the rice to wheat ratios and where those things start to play in. Um, you know, the price of wheat's real high, so rice is coming back behind that. But just like everything else, rice is kind of in short supply until we get this next crop in. And what does that look like? Um, do you kind of get, do you see some pressure just from a simple supply standpoint that you that you think could be driving some of the stuff that we're seeing? Not just as much as it just because of supply chain issues and those kind of things, but just overall scarcity of world supply of, of grains and, and proteins? Yeah, that was our situation heading into heading into the Russia-Ukraine crisis. Right. We were already in a world uh, situation of tightness mm -hmm. and on uh, raw agricultural commodities. And uh, with the cost of production uh, having gone up as it is, uh, you know, that's probably going to impact uh, productivity. Uh, farmers uh, withholding um, chemical applications, for instance, for weed right. and bug control, we're seeing that. Uh, happen out there, uh, or a lot of people are reporting that, and so that that's going to be impacting productivity uh, in some areas of the world. Uh, tightness in fertilizer supplies. A lot of those places, it's not as bad as expected. Like down in Brazil, apparently they've got all the all the fertilizer they need. Right. Uh, they, they hedged pretty hard. They yep. they really hard into this. They bought a lot of fertilizer uh, uh, out of Russia. They were able to get their hands on it. And they will build their supplies heading uh, or heading into uh, planting uh, later uh, this year. So it's really this mixed bag of I think where we're going to see uh, abundance uh, in some areas, but extreme tightness in others right. uh, of, of global commodities. And the question is going to be: Can we move it around? Uh, you know, are we going to be able to move grains and oil seeds around the world uh, and foods of all all types uh, when we start getting into it? You know, I look at especially crops and dairy specifically. Um, we're getting a lot of export business come to the U.S. because um, New Zealand and uh, in Europe, the two biggest producers or exporters, are down hard on production because of weather and regulatory uh, right. constraints. That's more export business coming to the U.S. Uh, because they're not flowing, they're not sending those uh, dairy product exports out there like they used to, and that's lifting. Um, global prices higher and makes us competitive so we've got a positive story here of uh well we're we're able to meet that demand in a world of global tightness um on specialty crops on the other hand we've got a problem here of drought 
Um, mm -hmm. We've got a problem of high heat, as we talked about earlier. That's going to be impacting productivity. And we've seen record uh, produce imports in the United States uh, this past year, or this, this past quarter. Uh, and that is partially due to the fact that we've lost so much production in this country yeah. uh, because of our weather, uh, because of um, disease issues, specifically down in like Florida, for instance. That sort of situation only gets worse and worse every year because of uh, citrus screening, uh, that disease. And so our produce imports are record high at a time when other countries are also struggling as well yeah. uh, with the weather issues and uh, input costs. Uh, the positive here, I'd say, uh, amidst all of this global tightness, is that shipping rates have come down, Casey. Mm -hmm. And that means, I think, that creates an opportunity here to more efficiently move commodities around the planet uh, from areas of abundance to areas of shortage. How long is this uh, uh, silver lining going to last around this cloud? I don't know. Uh, but shipping rates are still very high, historically yeah. speaking, it's just that they've come down. Uh, and I think that will be a positive for a lot of these countries that are stressed uh, on their uh, caloric needs, sure. especially over Africa, Southeast Asia. Mm -hmm. Um they're going to be, I think, in a better position, hopefully, uh, to uh, to get their uh, food grains. You mentioned right. uh, wheat and rice. Yep. I think rice is the saving grace here of all of the food uh, commodities out there. Rice is really kind of holding the ship together. Um, yeah. There's so there's that was the one of the only commodities out there that is of uh, abundant supply. Mm -hmm. So going forward, I would say with all of this stuff going on with all the, you know, all the food commodities. Whether you're talking grains, livestock, dairy, uh, or especially crops, rice is that one is that 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 it's holding it all together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about <clears throat> India and China right now, for example. So take those two yeah. countries. There's whatever 1.2 billion in in India and 1.7 billion or whatever it is in in in, uh, in, China. in China. So you got almost 3 billion people uh, out of the 7 billion people on the planet in those two countries, right? Um, right. China is is under this no-tolerance COVID thing, and they're locking things down just as tight as they can. Every, every chance they get a, a, a an outbreak, they're, they're locking things down, which is really messing with supply chains. But it's also messing with demand for hogs, demand for dairy, demand for those kind of things coming out of the U.S. And, and no matter what we do in the world when it comes to the hog supply, like China has to come in. They have to buy hogs from the U.S. in order, in order for it to work here in the United States. I guess as you take a look at countries like that, you know, like 2012, if you historically go back and look, you know, you had Arab Spring and those kind of things because of shortages of food and those kind of things. Right? There's whatever, 54, 55 countries or whatever it is in Africa, and something like 65% of those countries have already had some kind of a coup attempt already in this in this year based around um, food shortages and those kind of things, trying to get the other guy in that's promised them they can have more food if he becomes the leader and those kind of things. So looking at those kind of situations right now, I guess – what are your what are your thoughts when India finally says okay we're we've already stopped wheat we've stopped flour coming out now and we're not gonna yeah. we're gonna export any more rice now um, to anybody and then you really start looking at that rationing especially in in China and you know China's buying a lot of that stuff from India you know you start looking at those kind of things yeah and that, which is odd That's it's very odd they're they're in a war with each other but they're still trading commodities That's the craziest thing on the planet but you have right. this this whole thing going on I guess is if India tomorrow just says you know what we're we're keeping all the 
the rice that we have. We're keeping all the wheat that we have, and we're not going to export this stuff into Africa and in Southeast Asia like we have in the past. What's your thought there? How that? How does that ratchet things up in not only supply-driven pricing, but just overall world stability? Uh, well, that's exactly the problem. Uh, <clears throat> rice is what's holding a lot of these countries together from food crisis. Yeah. And if uh, <coughs> India, the, the, the number one exporter that mm-hmm. has been subsidizing all of their exports for a number of years now, uh, they've been building up their rice inventories and wheat inventories, but really rice is the one that is of, uh, really ample in the supplies right now. Um, if they were to do like they did with wheat, then we've got a serious problem. Um, the countries that would be the greatest or the regions of greatest exposure uh, of that double whammy, if you can put it that way, of wheat and rice would be West Africa and mm-hmm. uh, Southeast Asia. They are the biggest importers of food grains. Um, really, when you look at combined exports of wheat and rice together, it says West African countries and then places like the Philippines, Malaysia, uh, they're the second in line. Uh, they're, they're ba- they kind of battle, go back and forth in terms of uh, who the biggest food importer is, right. uh, the food grain importer. And uh, with India shutting down um, wheat exports, now it now it comes down to rice. And that's what's keeping a lot of those countries uh, afloat. And if they were to turn off their rice exports, good golly, that would be some bad times for a lot of a lot of people, a lot of countries that depend on those uh, exports uh, out of India and out of the Black Sea region because they're all in that little trading zone. Um, you know, they, they, they can import out of the Black Sea pretty easily, the wheat, and they can import rice and wheat out of uh, India. Well, you shut off the wheat exports out of India, and you shut off the wheat exports out of the Black Sea, or at least slow them appreciably. Now it comes down to rice, because we've already seen that happen with wheat uh, out of the Black Sea and uh, wheat out of India. So now it comes down to rice as the one grain that's kind of keeping a lot of these countries afloat. And if they if they did that, uh, that would be catastrophic. Absolutely, uh, I think the I think the Indian government knows that, and uh, they've said as much. They are not going to shut off rice. Uh, they're going to keep those exports flowing. Uh, I hope they do, uh, because now people are trying to, or countries are trying to work with Russia in creating that um, safe channel of trade uh, for commodities. And I don't think there's anybody that believes Putin's going to do allow, allow that to happen. Uh, he wants to use hunger as a leverage. <clears throat> of course, in his yeah. negotiations, yeah, uh, he he doesn't want to give up that card uh, if he if. Millions of people need to die so he can get what he wants. So be it. And right. I don't think he cares. So I think it really comes now down now to India and uh, are they going to allow the flow of rice? Yeah, that's that's the one thing I'm really paying attention to more than anything. Just is that that one little indicator right there because you know typically the U.S. we have a fair amount of wheat that we can go export, but with the way things look right now, I mean we've had some good yields in some good parts of Kansas and good parts of Oklahoma. But we've had as on you, know, the further west you get into that area, yeah. those those go from you know I went back you know from Wichita, so I went back fourth Fourth of July and talked to some folks, and you know right around Wichita it was a mixed bag. You had guys that had eighty bushel dryland wheat, you had some guys that had fifteen bushel dryland wheat. It just depends right. on where they were, you know, and on what side of the of of I you know I one thirty five they were they were on, you know, and 
and I think yeah. So and those those kind of things right there, where you're kind of starting to smash all that together, and what does that look like? It's not a paint in the rosiest picture. I mean, I think we'll be good, and from a domestic standpoint, but I mean, the world, you know, supply and those kind of things that come into play. That's my uh, that's something I'm paying attention to more than anything, is because just like you said, I mean, that stability. At least when when the Arab Spring situation happened, and we had you know some uprisings in um, in Africa and those kind of things during that time frame, there are there wasn't already uh, a, a pinch because of a war in two countries that produced thirty percent of the world's wheat. You know, <clears throat> between all those, you didn't have that issue, and now now you have that issue on top of what we have going on right now. It's just compiling that that pressure even greater. Yeah, it's hard to look at that situation and I look and reconcile that with the drop in commodity prices that we've yeah. seen here recently. And uh, most economists or traders I've, I've talked with believe this is a, a buying opportunity because uh, we're not out of this. Right. We're not out of the... the yeah. I think we're, there's a strong likelihood that we may be very short on commodities uh, later this year and heading into next year. Yep. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens going through all that. So, all right. So lastly, here Tanner, let's take a look at what what you see happening going through the end of the year. Um, Chairman Powell hasn't really said much about going forward as to what you know August interest rates might look like or September interest rates. You know, they kind of played that by ear, and it feels almost like they're going to take these big jumps and kind of wait and see what happens, and take a jump and wait and see what happens. I guess as you're looking at that, you know economic situation moving forward what is your feel um for kind of what you see happening what, what's your feel moving into the end of 22 going into 23 do you, do you do you see do you feel like the fed's gonna be maybe we're gonna hit it one more time and see what happens or do you, do you think they're gonna sit back and, and like you just talked about it's already a, a crunch out there and maybe we should take our foot off the gas a little bit i think we have to take the fed at their word uh, they're going to take it as the data comes in, right. and they're going to play it by ear. I think they're scared. I think they know that they're behind the eight ball here. Mm-hmm. They should have been raising rates a long time ago, so now they're trying to play catch-up. Um, how fast can they play catch-up, though, without just cramming it down the U.S. economy or the U.S. consumer? I think, um, you know, we talked about uh, the jobless numbers are, are so low right now, I don't think it's even on their radar, even if those start coming up. Uh, really, the story is all about inflation. Yeah, uh, it's all about trying to get these numbers down from what we were at eight point six mm-hmm. in May, uh, just phenomenally high numbers. And um, when you take when you look at the real interest rate, which is what the the inflation uh, excuse me a real uh, inflation when you take CPI minus the interest rate, we're still extremely high. And so, if you want to neutral, you got to raise interest rates to the level of of uh, of inflation yeah. that's a long long ways to go yeah. to get to that level i mean that's a that's a far pretty far distance to travel in terms of uh, what the fed is willing or able to do i don't think they're gonna be able to get there right uh, i think uh they're gonna given the unique economy that we have today they're, they're only going to be able to go so far now that being said chairman powell has indicated he's a little bit more hawkish. The entire Fed board has indicated right. they're quite a bit more hawkish than they used to be. They're sufficiently scared. They're not wor- worried about unemployment. They are worried about inflation. I 
you know, they're going to hammer at 75 points in the next meeting. They may do it again, another 75 points in the meeting after that. Then they're going to look at the damage done. And if they can keep doing it, then they're going to keep doing it. Yeah. Uh, and so, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what effect they have, uh, you know, the, the, because the economy is so different this time, uh, because inflation this time around is so different. Yeah. Uh, so much of it is supply chain driven. Uh, and so much of it is driven by uh, the number of workers out there that disappeared, that left the economy. Well, does the Fed, can the Fed really affect, uh, you know, the, the labor shortage out there? Did they have any impact on that? Did they have any impact on a drought conditions? Did they have impact on Chinese policy as it is with COVID? You know, and those supply chain issues that, caught, that raise costs uh, on uh, consumers. Um, so much is outside of the Fed's control. I think they, I, that's the other thing that has them scared is that they're late to the party in getting inflation under control and the tools they got don't fit the problem. Right. You know, they have these very blunt instruments for managing in, uh, inflation. And they, they can't do anything about China. can't yeah. do anything about these supply chain issues. They can't do anything about the worker shortage. I, I think they're scared. I think they are, they found religion. And so I would not be surprised if they, if they really hammer it over the next few months. They're going to raise it 75 points, and then they're going to do it again. They'll look around. Prices are still high, and, uh, and the, the unemployment numbers are coming up. They'll do it again until they get those inflation numbers coming down. And I think they're willing to tolerate uh, probably a lot higher unemployment. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, That's just my bias. Yeah, and I mean, it makes sense. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, it just makes sense what you're saying because it's logically, that's that's the tool they have. Like you just said, the tool they have is a blunt force instrument and it's interest rates and they keep banging it until they get get the scenario that they, they think they want. And here we go. I mean, no different than what Paul Volcker did during, during the 80s when, with Reagan's administration. I think it's worthy noting there, now that you mentioned Paul Volcker, that Jay Powell is a fan of Paul Volcker. Yes, he is. He is a fanboy. <laughs> of Paul Volcker's. Yeah. yeah. He's a believer. Yeah. And that's what makes me think mm-hmm. that they're going to go for it. Yeah. And they're going to run these interest rates is pretty high. Yeah. They may not get it to above inflation, but they're going to try to. Yeah. I think that's, that's, I think you're right. And so we'll see what happens. It's going to be a, it's going to be a fun fun thing to watch i mean not a fun thing to watch but it'll be an interesting thing to watch i guess probably a better word to use there but <clears throat> but i guess as you yeah as they get as this all unfolds yeah. I mean, we've already seen the stock market come down housing yeah. prices are starting to come down wow if they if they do what i think they, they're gonna do mm-hmm. this could be bloody yep they could get, get all these asset prices were overpriced anyway sure oh, absolutely yeah right. going back in just a, a bigger correction period than anything so yeah. Fun deal. All right, Tanner, good stuff as usual, man. Folks want to reach out to you, get more information about what it is you're doing at CoBank. What's the best way to do that? Just go to CoBank.com, and all of our research is on the Knowledge Exchange tab at CoBank. Right so tell, tell people what, what the correlation is with, with CoBank and, and AgDirect, how that, how you guys are kind of brothers and sisters in, in some, <laughs> some fashion there. We're all in the farm credit family, there so yeah. Uh, farm credit leasing uh, and tied in there with uh, AgDirect. So uh, it's all farm credit. So support the farm credit family. Right on. Right on. Tanner Emke, I appreciate <laughs> you being on the podcast, man. Thanks, Casey. Uh, we'll 
See you next time. Right on, man. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Also go to LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast and check this this particular podcast out on our YouTube channel at Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. So check that out there. More information about what's happening with Moving Iron, go to movingironllc.com. You can also check out what's happening with the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 6th, 7th, and 8th. You'll see Tanner Amke there, and uh, he'll be giving a, a presentation about what's happening there. So check that out. For more information, uh, send me an email at movingironpodcast at movingironpodcast.com. I'll be happy to get back to you. So with that, I am Casey Seymour with Tanner Amke. Let's move some iron, folks. Out. Axon Tire is going to have more tips, tricks, and client advice throughout the year and in September at the Moving Iron Summit in Nashville. If you're looking to sign up for the event, please head over to movingironllc.com. We hope to see you there. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 or go to valleytransitinc.com for all of your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. And no matter how you buy ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Yeah.